alligators. Another week on tap. Oh, man. We are Lollygagging Sports. I'm Bo Reed along with Samantha Button. And Matthew Irby is back. Back from his vacation. We're, we're very excited, Irby, that you didn't get eaten by a bear. I understand that you, you, know, you had some, 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 you know, some, some fun shenanigans, but you came back safe. I, yes, came back all in one piece. No, no incidences or anything. Um, <laughs> we went to, yeah, we went to Yellow, took the kids, uh, the whole family to Yellowstone National Park. If you've never been, absolutely recommend it. So amazing. Um, and we were unbelievably fortunate. We got to see uh, grizzly bears and even did something where we got to pet um, and feed some grizzly bears. So pretty amazing to uh, to stroke the head of a baby grizzly bear and realize how soft. However, I didn't know that even as soft as they are, the grizzly bear is still not as soft as Tim Anderson's chin. Oh, <sighs> shots oh. fired. <laughs> <laughs> or his ego. <laughs> you know, Smith. I was I was going to kind of go into how you know you know next time he goes on vacation like this, we need to have a pool for like uh, you know things that would happen to Irby on his vacations, and then you know we, we could make, make, make some like prop bets or something. But he just completely changed the game with that comment. I yeah, and guys, we're we're going to get into that. We have some Guardian stuff on the docket tonight. We will we'll certainly discuss. Um, the, the Street Fighter bout that, that went on there uh, in connection with that. And I um, am also on vacation, but I was also quite busy this week fulfilling um, a long-term goal of mine. Um, and I did this by doing nothing. And the Guardians acquired Ramon Laureano, which is something that I have been desperately hoping for for years. And by sitting here and, and wishing it to be so, it happened. So um, I, I'm very excited. It's not as good as petting a bear, but it's like not bad for a week's work. I, I, I feel like that was owed to you after the last couple of weeks with the Guardians. Oh, they absolutely freaking owed me that. Yeah. Big Wear and Somali, like, I, they owed me this. Um, <laughs> 100%. And now I get to like relive all over again. I have like, a cross stitch that, that a friend made me. I don't know how to cross stitch, but I do have some friends who do um, that has the. Uh, Good old quote from personal hero Ramon Mariano um, after his fight uh, with the Astros coach. Um, he was asked if, if he regretted charging the guy. And he said, I regret charging him because he is a loser. Um, and that is hanging on my wall forever. <laughs> and now he's mine. Now he's mine, yeah. guys. So happy. Anyway, he says baseball can't be art. <laughs> People that don't watch baseball, that's who. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well. We're back to a full docket tonight. We're going to have our usual baseball conversations, a little armchair umpire at the end. But Samantha, you want to you want to get us kicked off this week? Sure, we'll get to those guys in a moment. But so let's um let's let's hop over and talk about my adopted team. Although there there may have to be an I'm on adopting you, Jimmy. Here, uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, the wheels are coming off of the wagon. Um, most notably, uh, the way that has, has made me angry uh, as the adopter of this team and, and the way that they absolutely did absolutely no good to, to my primary team, the Guardians, and getting themselves swept by the Twins last week. Uh, not good. Uh, but also not good for the Diamondbacks in general. I'm sure they don't 
care about how Guardians fans feel, but, you know, as an adopter and as sort of a Diamondbacks fan, I feel like they should care about how I feel in general. And they have fallen 10 games back of the Dodgers, uh, five games back of the Giants. In the divisional race in the NL West, they are 57 and 57 as of Wednesday evening. So they are sitting at 500, but probably more notable, they have lost seven straight and they are two and eight in their last 10. And they're only two back in the wild card, but, you know, they're they're behind Philly, San Francisco, the Cubs, Cincinnati, and Miami. Uh, and, you know, the, the Mets of the West are only two back from them. So uh, things have taken a turn and, and not a good one. So... All right, guys, well, well, what are we really talking about here? I mean, I, to me, this is an example of a team that, that probably peaked too fast, too early, and that is going to continue to get better, and they're just not there yet. But uh, it, it's uh, a tough belt to swallow with, with one's adopted child. Uh, <laughs> they appear yeah. to be something that perhaps they're not. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, and I thought because, you know, we got into – the second half of the season, they were still hanging around, you know, and I was like, okay, well, maybe maybe they're legit, but it, it sure seems to me that in the last week and a half, they turned into a pumpkin. And it's really, yeah. it's really unfortunate because, you know, Arizona was, was one of those exciting surprise teams. I mean, we were heading towards a playoff picture that is completely bananas compared to what we all thought it would be. And they were a big chief actor in that in that movie. So for for the, for them to to turn into turn into a pumpkin going into the middle part of August, Irby, I don't know. I don't know if they got the juice to pull out of this tailspin. Yeah, this one's this one's bad, um, and 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 it's because of the team there. I mean, the, so good things for Arizona is that this is not a closing window bad. Like this is not. Oh my gosh, it's time to sell. You know, it's all going to fall right. apart here. You're you're a young team. You know, this is you got a taste. Uh, we're seeing a couple teams kind of going through this stuff where you got a taste, and now maybe it's not going to happen this season. And Arizona might be the next one. The, the good news is, is they've got ten games coming up against the Padres and the Rockies. So you know, just what the doctor ordered um, to pull yourself out of this. <laughs> um, so yeah, Arizona, boy, it's you're going to have to turn this around quick. And I. You know, because somebody think you said the adopted team. Yeah, this is a little bit more painful. Um, this is a fun group to watch, but this is not an Arizona team going anywhere anytime soon. So, I, I hopefully this is one where you you learn from this and you 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 feel what it was like and you realize you know that, that this is the beauty and the pure agony of baseball is it is a marathon. It is an absolute marathon, and Arizona is a great half marathon runner who trained well, did well, and they showed up, and, boy, they are in those, you know, mile marker 20 here, and the body is just breaking down, and it's falling apart. And so hopefully you bounce back. Uh, again, we're not doing any death codes or anything like that because you are just two games out of the wild card, and there's some teams up there ahead of you that have got their own issues. Um, a few of those we'll get into here a little bit later as well. So it's not, yeah, this is not, boo, you know, all falling apart, but, this is like you said, Bo. That that tailspin. You gotta. Well, you gotta pull out of it. You gotta pull out of it now. Yeah, and Samantha, I just, I just don't know if they have the the ability to do it. You know, and it's it's just it's 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 seven straight. It's two and eight in their last ten. I mean, that that takes a special that takes a special set to come out of that, and I just don't see it with this team. 
Yeah, I don't think they're there yet. Um, they're, they're headed in the right direction. The farm system's in really good shape. They were smart at the deadline. So I think they're going to be fine. This probably isn't their year. But uh, uh, to move on to the, the next topic here, I kind of wanted to touch on something you said, Irby, there um, about being a great half marathon runner. Um, which leads me nicely into the conversation about the Cleveland Guardians, who were like the guy who was running a full marathon, and they were like 10 feet behind the lead runner, and the coach leapt onto the course and pulled them off of it and was like, no, you're done. We'll try it again next year. Mm. So, um, look, I there are intelligent arguments to be made both for trading and for not trading Aaron Savali. Um, the Josh Bell trade is completely immaterial and is essentially a consequence of the Savali trade. And the Ahmed Rosario trade was obviously something that needed to happen. He was absolutely sort of uh, labeled as a shortstop. Um, he was a, a huge liability defensively. Things were already better there. And, you know, for everybody who's complaining about how he's doing well now, well, it's because the Dodgers were smart enough to put him at second base, and they're also using him as, as part of a platoon, which is not what was happening with the Guardians. So there are good reasons to make those trades, uh, even the one that, that really hurt and the one that kind of knocked the, the team for a loop. But there is a consequence to this, one of which is that it is very hard to swallow for a fan base and, and for the players on the team when you are a half a game back, and yeah, you're not going to win the World Series. Well, guess what? You're not going to win the World Series next year either. You know why I'm saying that? It's not because I don't believe the Guardians will be better. It's because 29 teams don't win a World Series every stinking year, and if that's your only goal, then like this is not the sport for you. So I struggle with sort of that line of thinking, but I also get the fact that the team feels like the front office gave up on them, and you can give a lot of good reasons for why this was a, a good trade and why they needed to make it and why ultimately it will brighten their future and why what Savali was doing was unsustainable, but in the moment it's crushing. And there's a camaraderie that exists amongst the players on this team that I have never seen before uh, on a baseball team. I've never seen anything like this, uh, the way that these guys love each other and back each other up, and it's been wonderful to watch, and it, it makes people like me, who I guess care less about winning every season, just so thrilled to watch this team, even if they're losing, because they are so lovable and, and so wonderful to see, and and they're competitive enough. But there's a downside to that, which is that when you trade away somebody who is is very meaningfully part of that group, and you know, I don't think Josh Bell, I don't think this applies to him, and Rosario, I think you know the team kind of understood it, they understood it, make it better. But Savali was a, a different animal, and. You know, Josh Naylor, who's sort of your emotional leader on the team, was extremely close to Aaron Savali, and you know, he and his wife um, were very close to Josh Naylor and his fiance. You know, they spent their vacations together, and these guys get attached to each other, and it's a wonderful thing when they're all on the same team. But it also has a, a pretty negative consequence when something like this happens that the team just kind of folds up on itself and kind of can't get it together. And you know, I've also never seen, to be fair to the front office, two dudes flying down to Houston um, when the team was going to be back in town. 18 hours later, anyway, to, to go and address their clubhouse. So, you know, good on them. Um, usually front offices are like, I don't care what you think. You're an employee. So that's all wonderful. But the consequences of it have been rough, and they kind of got a little bit of a, a spark there when the um, uh, Battle Royale happened, <laughs> but, um, which was wonderful for everybody's motivation and everybody's rooting interests. And, you know, you got, you know, the mirror already loved across baseball. Is now the guy that, you know, not just Guardians fans, but everybody wants to build a statue of because nobody loves Tim Anderson, including apparently some teammates who didn't even bother to come to his defense and all of this hilarious stuff. 
wonderfully entertaining, kind of gave Guardians fans and Guardians players who were having a rough time a break. But um, ultimately, it, it probably doesn't change your fate. And you're four and a half games back as of Wednesday night, which I got to tell you, feels a lot better than the five and a half from the night before. And to me, you, you guys know me, I, I'm obnoxious and will never admit defeat until I'm mathematically eliminated and it results in, well, let's see, last week somebody sent me a DM asking me if I was stupid because I still believed in the Guardian. So <laughs> love Twitter. Such oh, a nice, oh, so many nice people on Twitter. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that's, that's not how I roll. It's not how I watch baseball. So, you know, four and a half to me, it's like if you do the math, you've got six games head-to-head against the Minnesota. As long as you stand at six, you got a chance. But, uh, you know, it looks a lot different than it did just a couple of weeks ago before those trades were made. So I'm, I'm curious from you guys sort of as an outsider's perspective, when you look at a team that has this sort of unique composition like this, you know, what, what does that do to them? You know, how do, you, how do you guys think about that? Well, I mean, I've never actually seen a a, a team react this way before either. Yeah. So, you know, kind of piggybacking what you were saying. I've never seen this either. Um, so I was a little taken aback by how hard, just as a as a clubhouse, they took the Savali trade. I was really taken aback by that. Um, but I, I don't know, Irby, This you know what this kind of feels like to me? It's kind of like when you have one of those, you know, not not in baseball because baseball is not fast paced for this, but like you know a, a a basketball game, like a high profile basketball game or high profile even football game, where you have to weather the emotions of the first quarter, and if you can weather the the emotions of the first quarter and settle in in the second quarter, you got a shot, no matter who you're playing. I kind of feel like that's where I'm at with this Guardians team right now. They they've they've had their emotional week, week and a half here, if they can come out of it quickly and settle in, I'm still not buying these twins. And I won't buy these twins until they actually win the division. Well, I, I'm not even going to buy the twins when they win the division. Like, you take a playoff. Let me, series let, win. Let, let me clarify. <laughs> buy them as a central division winner. Let me, let me clarify that. <laughs> Oh, even then, doesn't count. No, until they can win a playoff series, you're not an actual division winner of anything. That's no, fair. sorry. That's fair. <laughs> um, yeah, this one's tough. This is, it, 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 you know, I, I the rallying of what you talked about, and it's, I, I mean, if anything, I we talked about the emotion of baseball, and it's, I, it's not fun to hear a, a, a colleague and a friend talk about your own team where it's, yeah, there is a little bit of deflate where it's like, yeah, I mean, it's us against the world, but it's not us against the world. It's us against ownership. Like that's tough. That's that, that is the, 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 the beauty of the romance of baseball. Um, and, and that romance isn't always a positive thing. It can be a negative thing here. And that's what is painful about this, where you have a team where I, so many other times you can look at this, that five and a half game lead, something like that. It's like, that's going to be difficult. Like, but we're talking about the twins, like literally a team full chock full of players that have blown this before. Like, that, this isn't like, oh, yeah, the Twins have a history of blowing this back in the 90s. Like, no, this team, these actual players on this roster are going to blow this. That's what they do. I, I, and so, um, I, yeah, this is it, – it, I, I, I feel for it. I feel for the pain. I feel for the fans. Um, the one – I'll try here. Here's the positive. I, I can give you, you – Samantha, you talked a little while ago about the Ramon Laureano – um, today is the today, the actual today as we record here on the night, is the three year anniversary of that fight when he took on the whole of the Houston Astros 
in honor of every baseball fan that has some some semblance of honor. <laughs> I'm going to have to add that to my calendar of baseball holidays. We just had to add Jose Ramirez Appreciation Day, and now we're going to have to add Ramon Laureano Appreciation Day. Right. Which we yeah. should have had anyway. So, perfect. Thank don't, you for that. No, no, no. I'm noting that on my calendar. <laughs> don't, forget, don't forget Joe Kelly. We need a Joe <laughs> Kelly Appreciation Day, too. Pretty much. You any, do. Well, pretty we need to find the date of that. Yeah. Pretty much anyone. Anyone, anyone that's that's fought the Astros gets a day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we could really expand the baseball holiday calendar into these sort of minor, like, let's let's honor somebody who took on the bad guy for the good of the sport. You know, like we have, you know, as a country, we have more important holidays that reflect that. So as a baseball community, I, I think that we could do our own version of that and say, hey, who took on Tim Anderson? Who took on the Astros? Mm-hmm. <laughs> who took on <laughs> random dude uh, who used to be on the Astros? I mean, maybe even, you know, Keenan Middleton gets a day for his Carlos Correa comments <laughs> earlier this season, which were hilarious. Uh, another guy added to the personal hero list. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Joe Kelly Day is uh, July 28th. Thank you. Damn. Thank you. July 28th. See, they, yeah. they stack up really tight around this time of year. This must be when these things boil over. Because ah. now we've got that, the trade deadline, Jose Ramirez Day, and Ramon Laureano Day all within like two weeks of each other. They missed my birthday by two days. That sucks. That would have been a nice birthday present. It would have been. I mean, I'll take Max Scherzer. That was, that was fun. <laughs> so, all right. Samantha, what else do you have for us? All right, well, (laughs) it's time yet again to ask the question, like, what is wrong with billionaires and and why are so many of them categorically insane? Um, And this time around, we'll we'll speak of the Angelos family who suspended a broadcaster this week. Uh, Initially, they indefinitely suspended him. Now we're told he's coming back on Friday, probably because the blowback is very bad. Um, For... Kevin Brown, who is wonderful at his job, just a, a phenomenally good local announcer, works for the Orioles TV crew, was suspended for reading a graphic correctly that contains correct information <laughs> that detailed the difficulty that the Orioles had had in the recent past with winning games at the drop. And the whole point of this was to highlight the fact that they were doing so much better now. Apparently... The Angelos baby, I'm not sure which which one, two Nepo babies, one Nepo baby, one of the other of them. Um, unclear which one's in charge. Uh, there seems to be some dispute between two of them about that as well. I uh, took offense to this and said, I don't want you saying that my team was ever bad ever, even though you did a very deliberate hard tank, which worked, by the way. So this is something you should be proud of because you're a better team now and decided, I don't like this guy talking. I, I can't even say talking. What did he do? He didn't even do anything. He read the graphic. What else was he supposed to do? I mean, we have all these people who are kind of hearing this story who are not particularly dedicated baseball fans who are watching it and saying, I don't get it was the wrong clip attached. Like, they, they just assume that this guy actually did something really bad because typically when this happens to announcers, it's because they've used a slur or they've uh-huh, cursed uh-huh. on the air or whatever. And some people are like, is the, did the person who put the tweet out attached to the wrong clip? Or Matthew Irby here, who... Um, never actually misses anything, but uh, didn't see this one just because he was on vacation, um, looked at it, and, and you just said when we were talking before the show started, Irby, that um, you were like, I don't get it. 
because without any context, how could you get it? Um, if you just see this and say, this guy was suspended, you're looking at this going, what am I missing? Like, did I miss a word somewhere? Like, did, did he flub something into like a slur or something? And that doesn't go with anything that we know to be true about Kevin Brown. But like, I mean, that's some weird stuff, right? Like, I mean, the billionaires are not okay. You know, the X guy's not okay. Angelos's are not okay. Um, man, it's just, it's bad out there. It's bad out there. The Gap guy out in Oakland, he's not okay, man. He's got a pack of feral cats running around out there. And he's like, I don't know, let's go to Vegas. So, I don't know. The, the billionaires are not okay, you guys. They're really not. It's, you know, I, I mean, it's just absurd. Right, because I, I think you just just put it out there perfectly. He yeah. ran a graphic. Yeah, it's not even responsible for the content of what he was saying. He was reading it off the screen. <laughs> he, he, he ran a graphic, and the graphic made the Angelos family look cheap. Well, you are cheap. If the shoe fits, wear it. Okay. Yeah. So you're the hero there. Uh, yeah, you talk about speaking truth to power. This is true, uh, talking truth to stupid. All right, that's what this was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, because he goes out there, he does his job, and he gets suspended for basically a week. It's basically it's a week suspension. Um, <laughs> they're trying to play semantics. Well, uh, he wasn't wasn't suspended. He was it was a leave of no, it wasn't. You suspended it for a week. Stop it. Right. So, but but beyond all that, as ridiculous and absurd as this is, you've got the best record in the American League, and you're going to distract your clubhouse with this garbage. And they lost. They lost after this happened, like disastrously lost. Yes, and it's like, yeah, like this is crazy. Like you, you have the best record in the American League. Like you. Why are you drawing attention to anything negative? Like, do you know if I were the owner of that team, you know how bad of a thing someone would have to do on air for me to even pull them at all? Like, <laughs> you'd have to say something really bad, like the kind of thing you can't come back from. Like, some dude dropping an F bomb, I would just pretend it didn't happen. Just yeah. Like, whoops. Whoops. Sorry, kids. Like, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. He, he reads everything that's on the cue card. Oh, wait, that's right. He got, he got suspended for that. Oops. Yeah. Like, oh. I just. Oh my gosh! Oh, <laughs> wow! Oh, Irby, you know, I know this happened while you were on vacation, but I just got a feeling that that you you've got some comments about this. I well, yes, I, I'm hoping to get suspended um, by the Orioles as well, as, as you guys have been working on as well. So, uh, no, Samantha, yeah, yeah, exactly what you were saying. Like I, when I was getting back into um, civil, you know. Consistent internet, let's just put it that way, and and catching up on the world and everything. I saw the clip and it and it was something about suspension, and immediately assumed that he was like intoxicated or or said a slur or something like that. And I'm watching the clip going, am I, what am I missing? <laughs> like I gotta watch this again. I was like, did I miss the word? Is his eye or his eyes pinpoint? Like what's going on here? And then it's then it's when they you start reading more and realize, oh, you're in trouble for speaking the truth. Okay, cool, because. I, I mean, wow, the thin, thin skin. I mean, I guess the Angelos family probably watched Succession as well and decided that they wanted to be like that. Um, or, 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 or there's conversations of, you know, we, we shouldn't have nice things. We don't need to have we, – we, things are going too well. We need to distract us. You know, this is like the opposite of what some college football programs do. So I, I, don't, I don't get it. I, I, what, what, and, and the craziest thing about it is what you said, Samantha, is 
It worked. The, the whole thing of what y'all did worked. It's working. Not even worked. Take off the past tense. It's working. Literally. Present tense. Best record in the American League. Chock full of young talent. It's working. What you did, the tanking, it worked. And you're being successful right now. But I guess this family is just so wrapped up and we shouldn't have nice things. Things need to be bad. We, we need to have bad things that you're just like, no, oh, this can't be. We need to shoot ourselves in the foot. And we got to do something dumb here. Because I, I, I don't get, like, who cares? I, I mean, man, this is, I, I live in Dallas. Like, this is an area where, Bo, you, you, I mean, I know this is going to drive you crazy. Jerry Jones drives you absolutely nuts. Yeah. There are so many problems with it. But you know what? Jerry, for all his faults, has some really thick skin. And he will let the local media just rip him apart. Yeah. And he will stand there and take it, and he will have the conversation. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I'm sorry I turned from, like, joking into serious. Like, this is just – this is embarrassing. Absolutely embarrassing. Like, come I, – I mean, this is I, – I change your diaper. Like, this is toddler bad. Toddler bad. Like, what do you care? What yeah. do you like, – like, you're winning! Like, if this was the Mets, Sure. Let's throw more kerosene, more lighter fluid on the fire. But there's not even a fire. <laughs> you're starting your own fire. Like, <laughs> like, what are you doing? You're winning. I, I, oh, Baltimore. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, when I saw Kevin Brown trending on Twitter, Smith, I was like, okay, what did he put his hand through another wall? Why is he trending? Oh. <laughs> announcer Hi, that's the weirdest part of this like when this guy first came on the scene i thought it was kevin brown the pitcher and you're like looking at the guy and you're going i didn't look anything like he's like 20 years younger like who is this person and then you start watching the guy you're like oh like he's actually pretty good but then you know you do you have to ask the question like is he much more like the other kevin brown like did he put his fist through something on the air like did he put his fist through a child on the air because that that might be suspension worthy but like i don't really jive with everything i've heard about this guy but like Okay, like, but yeah, I mean, the, the self sabotage here, as you were saying, Ruby, is like unreal. It's like things are going great for me. How can I just f them up? Like, <laughs> like one of those characters in these like over dramatic like teenage soap shows that I can't stand, where there's always some boy who's so tortured and all the girls love him. It's just that me. I don't understand the like antihero complex. Um, mm-hmm. who basically has a great life and like things are going really well for him and he just can't stop like self-sabotaging and making his own life worse. And he's like, I don't know what's right. You know, it's Dylan McKay, you know, I don't know. I, don't, I, don't, I need to get a drinking problem because I'm 45 and I'm pretending to be in high school. Like, it's just, oh my gosh. Like, wait a, yeah, like nothing was wrong here. Let's make sure something is wrong because this is an unnatural state for us as the Orioles. We don't know how to function in a successful environment, so let's come in and screw it up. Oh, God. Uh, Irby, anything you want to add to this before we move on? Nope, just, just utter confusion. All just right. utter, I, oh, man. Just, just, just so you two know, I'm very wary of, of repeating anything that, that you guys send me on the air. If it comes to me in a graphic, I'm gonna be a little worried about that. More about sabotage. I, yeah, uh, yeah. At this point, like it's, <laughs> he's, he's not even for he's not even the guy that comes up with a graphic. <laughs> like that's the best part. Like, he's not sitting there coming up with this graphic. 
Well, and this introduces a whole new mode of sabotage, which is something I wish I had thought of when I was like one of the behind the scenes people and working with a person who was talent, who was a problem. It's like, if I could have known that I could have just picked out whatever the owner of the company was sensitive about and then written a script so that that dude would have to read it yeah. there and inevitably get fired. Like, actually, that's a that's a really great strategy. I wish I had known about this or had this example to work from when I was like, you know, needing to get someone fired. <laughs> Oh, you imagine the person that put that together, like but they did that graphic. They're sitting there going, "Am I getting fired too?" Oh yeah, oh, oh yeah. Like, what is- <laughs> How awkward is it going to be when he's back on on the eleventh? <laughs> I mean, what is even the first thing you say when you get back in the booth? Like, <laughs> here's a graphic. Read it for yourself, folks. I'm not touching it. <laughs> Kevin, we got this graphic for you. You read it. Yeah, I read it. <laughs> oh boy! All right, Irby, you're up. <laughs> take, uh, take us into the middle innings. The middle innings, yeah, yeah, all right. Well, um, so fun one, a uh, player that we've we've talked about many many times here, and it's fun. Um, you know, coming back from injury, but Bryce Harper, you know, not somebody we've really talked about a lot this year, but Bryce, Bryce is waking up. Bryce is, you know, it was it was a uh, it was a rough June for Bryce. Is a nice, I think, way to say it. And in July was, you know, definitely getting back to his old ways. But I, this is this is the this is great leadership. This is this is a huge part of their lineup. Um, you know, I I, I don't want to say that the Phillies go as Bryce goes because there are plenty of other players. But but this is a an emotional part of that lineup. And Bryce Harper's been hot lately, and the Phillies. Getting just as hot, um, not definitely not going to catch. I don't think catch the Braves hot, but but they are presenting themselves as a legit playoff team. Um, while the the Marlins are struggling and the Mets, are, you know, this season couldn't get or getting worse. The Phillies are, you know, I mean, this is grabbing a a wild card by the horns and taking care of it. And Bryce Harper's been a good part of it. Um, some of the bad that uh, has led to. <sighs> It's tough, you know, with Bryce. Like, this is a down year, okay? And, and, and I don't mean that in a terrible, but, but it is. Like, the way the season is going is a down year for Bryce, you know? And a down year for Bryce Harper, he's still bad. He's still got an OP, on-base percentage of 381, and his OPS is over 800. Only seven home runs. You know, he's already like, – like, these are the, this is a down year for him. So, I – Harper is seeing, and, and, and this started last year, um, the, 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 the breaking balls, you know, has never been Bryce's. And Bryce is a great fastball hitter. And teams are starting to throw that, that, that breaking, that, that movement pitch a lot more, and he's struggling a little bit of it. Um, but not as late. And I love it. I, I, I was never, it was so interesting when, you know, when I going back, you know, flashback 12 years, 10 years. Uh, when when we were seeing the beginning of Trout and Harper and all that stuff, and it was almost like people were picking out which one you're gonna like, and and I was definitely a little bit more of a Trout fan, even though I had to play him so many times. But um, Bryce Harper, like this is, I I enjoy his leadership, I enjoy what he brings, um, and the Phillies, who you know, as, as we we're sitting here recording, just threw a no hitter, uh, Michael Lorenz, nice pick up there, yeah. Bryce Harper, you know, RBI to begin that game, RBI double, twenty first double of the season, um, and and it's just. That is this line, you know, I talked about the talent between Turner and Real Munto, Castellanos, and even Bombs. Well, like, so much talent on that roster, but this team goes as Bryce Harper goes. And 
This is starting to become a Phillies team, though they will not win the East. I don't want to play them in the postseason. No, no. In fact, I mean, there's a few of these rotations, Samantha, that I wouldn't want to face <laughs> come division series, come uh, come wild card, even, even the wild card players. But let's talk about Bryce Harper then, Samantha, because I wonder how much of this we can attribute to the Tommy John because we don't get a lot of position players that have that. And he got back so quick. We talked about that earlier this year when he came back. He got paid, he came back so fast. We see this with pitchers where it takes it still takes some time, even after they're back and they're playing. It still takes some time for them to get back to their old form. Are we seeing that with Bryce Harper here? That he, it, it's been a couple months now. Now he's back to old form, very similar to a pitcher, which is you know interesting to me. Because it's obviously a different, different, different style of, of playing the game between a pitcher and a hitter, but it's it's. I wonder if it's the same thing. Yeah, I think that's part of it, and I think it's sort of like a, the the nuance of it that everybody kind of has to understand is that like if you're Bryce Harper or if you're the person making decisions about Bryce Harper, you're still bringing him back early, even though he's not 100 percent, because like. 60% of Bryce Harper is better than most people out on a baseball field. A down year for him looks a lot like an up year for a lot of guys. So, I mean, I think, look, I, I think you make a great point about the Tommy John thing. I think you're absolutely right about that. And Irby, I certainly, I think, articulated this from sort of a baseball perspective plenty well enough. So I'm just going to take this moment to, to kind of be a fan. And, you know, you mentioned the, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, are you a Trout guy or are you a Harper guy? And I have always been a Harper guy. Um, and it's unusual for me at all because I'm generally not big on the stars as anybody who listens to this show knows, I'm sure. It's not that I don't appreciate them or enjoy watching them play, but they're never my favorites. My favorites are like the weirdos, but I love Bryce Harper and always have. And so I'm so pleased to see him getting out there and I love the Phillies. I love that fan base. I'm happy to see them doing well. And, and as you guys pointed out, as, as Bryce Harper goes, so go the Phillies and, and it's looking looking real good. Look, even Michael Lorenzen's getting in on the action. Although, here's a weird question that has nothing to do with Bryce Harper. Guys, what is the singular of Phillies? Because when I got the, the no-no alert, it, they said, you know, his first start is a Philly, P-H-I-L-L-I-E. And I looked at that and went, that doesn't look right. Like, I mean, well, don't you just avoid it entirely and say his first start for the Phillies? Yes. Because, like, what is the singular of Phillies? Like, it's not Philly with a Y, like the city, but Philly with an IE looks stupid and doesn't mean, I don't know, it's been bugging me. I mean, <laughs> I've, I've always known it as a, uh, the singular was a Philly, but I agree with you, just say for the Phillies and don't be weird about it. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah well, why that's another weird? reason why you shouldn't read graphics. <laughs> <laughs> what is the lesson here? That's the joke. That's Do not acknowledge we're, we're all going to get fired. Stop reading the graphics. <laughs> Well, around the It's <laughs> a joke that keeps on giving. It's going to be all year with this. Oh, boy. At some point, at some point it's going to hit our football coverage. Don't read that graphic. <laughs> <laughs> well, has anybody who's ever actually been responsible for the graphics on the screen knows like that is your nightmare that you're going to put something out there that is either egregiously incorrect or somehow offensive. And these guys managed to put something out there that was, like, totally correct and completely fine, and it still had the same result. Right. I, it's, it's, like, I mean, at, at that point, it's just like game over, man. Game over. Yeah, you're I, done. You're I, done. I, you're cooked. There's uh, nothing you can do. Even, even, even when my graphic is right, I'm wrong, man. Yeah. <laughs> Screw this. <laughs> Can't win that one. <laughs> All right, Irby. What's next? <laughs> 
Well, the next one, so we, we've talked, the Smith have stuck about Guardians, and, and then the Twins, we talked a little bit about the one central. So let's jump over to the other central. The, oh, okay. the, the NL central race is heating up. Mm-hmm. Three-horse race. We, we've had our funerals for two. Um, the Pirates, you know, we, we sent them off a couple weeks ago. And so we're down to it's the Brewers, the Cubs, and the Reds. And this one has been interesting because it's, I, I you know, baseball, I've always loved the phrase, you know, you, everybody wins 54, everyone loses 54. It's what you do with the other 54 that matter. Um, probably kind of breaking it down into thirds, you know, in baseball. You look at nine innings, you know, what what'd you do in the first third? Well, you talk about the middle innings and then the last inning, stuff like that. And this division, it's, I mean, here we go. The, the first third of the season, it was the Brewers and, and, and the Pirates to some degree, but that was, you know, incredible. That was the mirage that you always see when you're driving on the highway. Um, but it was the Brewers, the Brewers taking care of the division and everything. And then we got to these middle, the middle third and Ellie De La Cruz and, oh my gosh, these Reds, all these rookies and these guys are unstoppable. And boy, that has changed big time. And now here we are coming into the final third and, is it the Cubs? Like, is it the Chicago Cubs that potentially could win this Central? You know, they are the hotter team there. They they pulled themselves within two games. You know, and it's you know since he's only a half game behind, but they're within two games of the Brewers because the Brewers, just like their other you know and counterparts, Minnesota, just will not win the division. They they may end up having the best record in that division, but they just won't win it. They're, they they will be given it by default if everyone else can't catch them. But and, and we thought it was the Reds that were going to just take this, and, and, and what were they going to do? And then Cincinnati does absolutely nothing um, at, at the trade deadline, aside from Sam Mole. Okay. <laughs> and it's the Cubs that are doing stuff, and it's the Cubs making the most aggressive, making the smartest move and getting the best player out of all these teams. And it's the Cubs that have, you know, if we break down um, run differentials, which, again, isn't the biggest thing. It isn't what talked about the most, but the Cubs do have the second – Third, sorry, third, the third best run differential in the National League. Obviously, it's the Braves and the Dodgers, but outside of that, it's the Chicago Cubs, and the Cubs are finding ways to win. And I'm not going to sit here and crown the Cubs because of the talent and and having the lead that the Brewers have had. But this race has just gotten very interesting because it is a a, a Brewers team that is almost by definition 500, although. Uh, as you guys are going to love, as not big Brewers fans, they've got way too good of a record in one-run games. So keep an eye on that one, folks. Way too good of a record in one-run games. The <laughs> Cubs, who seem to be the guys doing it in the third half, or the third, the wow, there we go, third half. I'm still on vacation. The last third <laughs> of the season. The Cubs seem to be the ones in the last third who have come alive and maybe take this division. And the Reds, still with all that young talent and as electric as they are, I, this is, you know, I, what's the phrase? Get your popcorn ready. This race between these three could be a lot of fun. You know, <laughs> Smith, there's a few things that jump out at me, jump out at me about this division. Uh, the Reds, who lost seven in a row and now have lost two straight, they're two and eight in their last ten. Somehow, still not out of it. They're two and a half games behind because the Brewers went five and five and the Cubs went six and four. The Brewers have a run differential of zero. They've given up 496 runs. They've scored 496 runs. We are we are going into like the last average. Yeah, the last six weeks of the season is coming up, and we're at a run differential of zero with the Brewers. So there's a lot, there's a lot of, of fun 
about this division, but I wonder, are the Cubs peaking too early? Or if 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 you're going to peak now, fine. But you better build one heck of a lead because when you come back, when you when the when you come back to the pack, you can get passed late by these Brewers, by these Reds. But it's it's a three team race. I think it's going to stay a three team race. And yeah, Ruby's right. Get your popcorn. I mean, one thing that jumps out to me about the Cubs is that that run differential right now is a little bit deceptive because so much of it came from those two games against the Reds where they scored like 20 and 15 runs or something like that, respectively. So that that really changed the run differential there in a way in the span of two games that, that I think we need to be a bit careful of. Um, <laughs> but mostly, you know, it's like we know what this division is. It's like a mid-off every year. Right, as mid as the kids say. I mean, the, the third half thing is cracking me up, Irby, because I keep thinking about that episode of South Park with the man bear pig, where they were like half man, half bear, half pig. Um, so I can't stop thinking about it. Um, but the third half. Um, anyway, so for the third half, now trademarked by lollygagging sports. Um, in the third half, um, I don't love what I'm seeing out of the Reds. Um, I, I think they're gonna go down in a ball of flames pretty quickly here. Um, don't, don't love what I'm seeing, but you never know. Um, I, I like what the Cubs are doing, but as you pointed out, though, um, I think they may be peaking too early. I think the run differential is deceptive. And, and then to agree with you, Irby, like, can we stop saying that teams like the Brewers and the Twins have won their division when all that they've done is basically survived the <laughs> longest? Like, yes, you were awarded this division because no one was able to wrestle it away from you while you tried to give it to them. Like, there is no more winning of the central divisions unless somebody like Cleveland or Chicago comes on and rips it away. <laughs> We're no longer calling it a division winner <laughs> as of right now. It's not happening. Put it in the graphic. <laughs> All right. All right, everybody, what else do you have? What's next? Uh, weird, weird little fun stat uh, just off that way you're saying, Samantha, about the weird uh, numbers on their press. Uh, run differential. The Cubs are actually eight and seven this season in games decided by nine or more runs. Yeah, so they're they're winning big and they're losing big. This season. <laughs> That's a whole lot of games. Way to commit to the bid. <laughs> yeah, that is. It's yeah. That's that's. Some, <laughs> so Cubs fans, yeah, you probably know early on it's going to be a good day or time to change the channel. So, <laughs> but uh. All right, so last thing I have for you guys, a uh, little bit of fun. You know, like I said, I, I just got back from vacation, um, and I'm, you know, my family, we're, we're, we're outdoorsy. We, we, we like to go camping, hiking, and all those things, and, and so I brought a little bit of that, and it was um, kind of got me thinking about that, of something, and I've been building this for years, and I still want to continue to build it, and, and y'all's input's going to be helped building this, but, you know, it's the dream ballpark. Like, if you could build a ballpark Ooh. anywhere, you know, and, and, and it's tough because, yes, there's the fun stuff of like, oh, yeah, I'd love to do like an island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean where, you know, you have to go. You know, and I love the videos where you see some of these like Caribbean ballparks where you just see the ocean in the background with a nice sunset of like, yeah, I wonder what filter you're using. But I'm, I'm, a, I'm a mountains guy. So so my, my, my dream ballpark, and I, I would love for you all to get the input and, and, and almost as fans, y'all are going to be visiting here. It's just kind of a little Jurassic Park here. Y'all are my... Dr. Alan Grant and Ellie Sattler here, but don't worry, no dinosaurs here. Oh, great. Um, yeah, yeah, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Uh, 
So, so envision this, and everybody here, I want y'all to hopefully I can paint this picture well, um, real quickly envisioning, but my ballpark that I would love to do is, is on an elevated mesa or, or, or plateau, which is essentially a, a, a flattened area amongst the mountains. And, and in here, we would have mountains on all three sides. And, and this potentially would be, you know, out in the wilderness, obviously, maybe next to a national park, something like that, continue to bring um, – Folks out that would get to see these wonders as well, and also, but but the parking lot here, you know, there, there's very few driving up there. The parking lot's actually down low, at the base of the mountain. So so the stadium is only accessible by an aerial tram or gondolas um, that would go back and forth. Sure, we would have shuttle buses as well, just because that would be necessary, um, and probably have to have a couple helipads. You know, somebody gets hurt, we got to get them out really quick. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, but also because of that, because of the, you know, the outdoorsman, I would actually have a section um, where if you hike the mountain, you get to go to this section for free. So if you do this hike up to the stadium, up to the ma- uh, up to the stadium in the mountains, you get to go to the game for free. And you got this one little section of those of those those crazies, and I can call them crazies because I am one of them. <laughs> um, but but would love to have like a natural, you know, we remember the, the waterfall in Kansas city that we always get, you know, or, or the water structure and, and the angels have, no, no, no. We have a natural waterfall here, a, a real life waterfall um, that would be visible from the stadium. But, but, but one of my favorite features that I would love to add would be the home run stuff. One of the home run sections, and this is left there or right field, totally up for a conversation, how we want to do it um, would actually be adjacent to a cliff. And the reason for that is, is I've always hated this thing that MLB's done for so long, of like where they call a home run, it's like where it first hits something. Okay, great. Well, this home run's gone over the ball, but you hit it out of the stadium, and it's gone down a 500-foot cliff. Okay, so quickly that obviously would get changed. But still, you know how much fun it would be to have cameras all over the place filming this ball as it's traveling five, 600 feet down a mountain and bouncing down. It would be hilarious. You'd love watching the players would get a kick out of it. Um, you would hear stories of people hiking and, oh, yeah, we found the ball and stuff like that. But, but, but that is my, just the, the idea of this elevated way up in the mountains, almost secluded. Yes, I know it would kill attendance, but still, we're going to work hard to get everybody shuttled up there. And it would just be a wonderful environment for, for, for baseball. So curious y'all's thoughts on that. I mean, I'm game. I'm not going to hike. So I'll, I'll just pay my own way. I'll pay more. How much would it cost me to use, like, you know, because the helipads can also be used to, you know, bring people in so, you know, they can they can have a nice little fun ride to the ballpark. What would that cost me? Well, the helicopter ride's still going to be expensive, you know, and I know that's how you make your money is you got to have the people that fill the exclusive getting up there. Well, sure. but, but I will I will say there, there can be definitely some restaurants up there that have got a view, the scenic view. There you go. Um, but also the, the other side is the view of the field. So you can kind of see the game and also view a sunset uh, going over some mountains. <laughs> what about luxury suites? What would that be like? I, I am wide open here. I am wide open to luxury suites because it's—I know that's what you're going to need to do. You're going you got to have that level of, of of elite and feel like you're you're uh, yeah. What am I? You know, and and who knows? Maybe we even build in you know some 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 scheme around there so the stadium can be used in the off season as well. Well, I, mean, I think it would be much more fun with dinosaurs, but you know, I'm I'm. No, neither here there. Uh, Samantha, what about you? What are your thoughts here on Irby's, Irby's stadium idea? I mean, I've got, I've got one of my own, so. I, I do, too. I do, oh, too. Good. Okay. Um, I, 
and I I think we should all concur that any stadium would be better with dinosaurs. I mean, it would be worse in a lot of ways, but it would also be better. But um, look, I mean, I would absolutely come to this because I think it's really creative and, and because it's your stadium. So I would come to it for that reason. But, um, you know, I think for my perspective, sort of on, on what I would do and sort of how I react to something like this is that, you know, like me and Irby, like we have a lot in common and our families have a lot in common. But one thing that we do not have in common is, as you said, we're like outdoorsy people. And my family is the opposite of that. Like we are outdoorsy in the sense that like we like the beach and the ocean. Um, we, we don't mountain, we don't hike, we don't wilderness. We, these are not things um that appeal to me in the slightest. I mean, I will come to your ballpark anyway because you're my friend and I think it would look super cool. But, um, this, is, this is not my family's idea of a good time. We are, we are beach and surfing slash, you know, historical monument people. Um, and you could put a ballpark on the beach, but, you know, as you pointed out, there's lots of ballparks that, that have a beach view and I think we've kind of done that to death and I don't think that's terribly original. But playing one inside a monument, I think, would be super interesting. I was trying to think of, you know, what, okay, what's big enough to host a baseball game that would, and we're going to throw out the idea that these things would obviously be, like, badly damaged in a way that we would never be okay with, but, you know, this is my fantasy park, so I'm just going to pretend we have some kind of force field around these things to protect them. And I was thinking... St. Peter's Square would be an amazing place to have a baseball game. I mean, you could have an obelisk as a foul pole, like just <laughs> absolutely incredible. I mean, like bullpen, like I don't know, like do you just stick them in the trevi fountain? Like there's just that's not obviously in St. Peter's Square, but like you know, you could kind of move around Rome a little bit there and, and pull in a few things there uh, that I think would be really interesting. But the visuals of using St. Peter's Square, so beautiful, designed by Michelangelo, obviously. Um, really, really interesting place, probably has enough space, and, and since I'm not worried about preservation, because we're just going to pretend that we can magic that away, um, I'm mostly looking for uh, someplace where it meets the technical specs, right? And my first thought was Hagia Sophia in Turkey, uh, but unfortunately, as, as big and soaring and impressive as that mosque is, I don't think you could fit a baseball game inside it, but I bet you could fit one in St. Peter's Square, so... And that's my best idea, other than just, like, can we just set up a ball field next to Hogwarts? Um, because that would be cool, too. Like, I mean, we could spend a lot of time talking magical baseball, or be, I just sacrificed six hours of our lives in the future planning that out. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I'm, I'm going monument ball, man. We're, we're going to play with the... the the Renaissance great. <laughs> you know, okay, because uh, okay, I, I, have, I have one question and a comment for you, Samantha. The comment is, mm -hmm. I, I'm really happy that I never got into Harry Potter more than ever now because I'm not going to be looped into that long discussion about magic and baseball. I'm, not, I'm just not going to be a part of that, and I'm very happy about that. Um, the question, though, your Vatican ballpark, what are you calling your team? I, mean, I can't call them the Pope Smokes, can I? I'm not it's, your, it's your fantasy. <laughs> the Vatican Pope Smokes. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm thinking maybe Vatican Rosaries. Uh, Vatican Rosaries. Um, well, I'm trying to think like Pope's robes. Yeah, like I mean, the I mean the. the I mean, you could even go like you could you know attribute this to people more responsible for it. You know, like the. The Julius II Pope Smokes. Uh, there you go. <laughs> the, See, now you're talking. The, Medi the Medici Pope Smokes. Um, there are just a lot of directions that you can go in with it. And, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, Rome has, has so many layers, and you talk about the, the stuff that was, was looted from Egypt and, and the stuff that's from the Renaissance and the extant things that we have from ancient Rome. Um, there's just 
so many ways you could go with this. I mean, hell, you could just pick an emperor from nearby. Like, you could be like the Caligulan Pope smokes if you just want to make sure you catch all the eras, you know, of, of Rome and then knock that thing off an obelisk Man, and you call that a foul ball or whatever. And, mm. See, now I want to do... I, I One, I love the idea of, yeah, the, the, the biggest fear here is, you know, foul ball and we hear the glass shatter. Ooh, crap! <laughs> Whoops! <laughs> yeah, um, I do love the idea of that potentially hitting a a foul ball or home run into another country. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that mm-hmm. that is a, a possibility. Like you literally, um, but but also on the smoke. Like, do we do that? Like, you know, white smoke means a new pope. Black smoke means new decision. Red smoke means walk off home run. Is that like what we have now? <laughs> well, we don't need robots. That's the young now. You just wait for the smoke to come up. Like that's yep. that's now See. how we determine balls and strikes. Um, <laughs> I, but I, yeah, smoke, I mean, ball the idea, <laughs> one of the few places where you could hit a home run into another country, just absolutely mm-hmm. amazing. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm thinking about the concessions. You could have pious pies. Pious pies. <laughs> John Paul Coney's. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Julie, I mean, there's an. Is Orange Julius still exist? The, the that place that you see in the mall because you could have Julius the second Orange Julius. You know it does. There you um, go. Actually, there you go. I, I, yeah, believe it or not, I was actually in a mall not too long ago when it was there. It was awful, but I had one. I can't believe that still exists. It's very eighties. Like mm-hmm. I think of that as being next to the corn dog on the stick, which was a lot better than the Orange Julius. I just want to put that out there. But, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you could really do some just absolutely incredible. <clears throat> concessions there um, in which we would no doubt be hitting on some kind of serious sacrilege which I'm sure we've already done 300 times um, in this conversation <laughs> but I mean it, it's all in good fun right and then we do um, you know I did just recently uh, read an account of uh, how much soccer actually gets played by uh, on the grounds um, of these sort of ancient monuments by the people who live and work uh, within the walls of the Vatican, which is pretty cool. So, you know, if we can play soccer, then why not get to all this thing? Just saying. <laughs> Mine is not near as in-depth as you guys. I, I just want one on Alcatraz Island. That's where I want my stadium. <laughs> that would be cool, too. <clears throat> right? Okay. Right, right. And, and I could totally, like, you know, like be like, you know, the the uh, the Alcatraz Sharks. Have a shark as a mascot. The baby shark as a mascot. You know, we're, we're a little promotion. Like, get a file in your, in your, in your slice of cake, win a prize. There's all kinds of fun you could have. I mean, well, and think of the ballpark nicknames. Like you could just you just call it the Rock. The Rock, right? yeah. Like I mean, just incredible, yeah. incredible. Be super cool. And I just like the mechanics of things. Like, I mean, how do you even do it? Do you just say all seats are free, but you got to figure out how to get in? Uh, you got to figure out how to get out. <laughs> you gotta figure out. Yeah, like you could come to a game or you could just Hotel California. You said that to get out. Check in any time you like, but you can never leave, uh, which would actually be okay with me. If I'm going to be stuck somewhere in perpetuity, I would like it to be a ballpark. So, <laughs> I, I, I'm i loving, too, that I can already see the home announcer every time there's a home run robbed. Said, Nothing escapes the rock. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now I want to watch that movie. <laughs> uh, don't worry, Kevin Brown. I will not suspend you for saying that at my, at my ballpark. I am not that owner. <laughs> <laughs> okay well let's 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 flip it over i got a couple and then we'll get into armchair umpire um once again 
I mean, we really do need to, to just, I think finally just, we thought we put the bow on the angel season when we gave them their death code and, and you know, they, they did. They were, they were like, it's like they listened to our show because they responded well, won, won a bunch of games, made some trades and then lost every game after the deadline to what yesterday. I think they won last night with Giolotto. That was Tuesday. But they they played themselves completely out of the race a week after the deadline. Talk about burying the lead, right, Samantha? Like, you, you go out, you make all these trades, and you still stink. Like, I don't know. It, I don't know how an Angels fan is supposed to feel right now. Yeah, they kept Atani. That's great. You're not going to the playoffs again, and Atani's going to walk. This offseason, they're not going to trade Trout, but they should trade Trout. They gave up the last little bit of their of the top level of their farm system to get G. Loto from the White Sox. I mean, this this is this is going to be they're going to be down there with the A's after this season. They're, that's that's that, that's how hard of a rebuild they've got ahead of them, and it's all because they couldn't put together a competitive roster when you had Trout and Atani. What makes you think they're going to get this re, this next rebuild right? I don't get it. Nothing. They're not going to get this right. Not not as long as Artie's there. It's just not going to happen. And yeah, I mean, in a way, that's the greatest argument for doing exactly what they did. Because like, what does it matter? <laughs> it doesn't matter. Good point. Good like, point. Unless you're getting prospects back or retaining prospects that are basically major league ready, like they're all going to crap out before they get to the majors. So maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe this is the right thing to do anyway. I don't know. I feel like we should have a second funeral. Like, I feel like they died, and they, like, I don't even want to say they came back to life because they didn't. Ooh. It's like somebody just dragged him out of the, you know, like, if we're going, like, Lazarus here, it's like if you drag him out of the cave, but he's still dead. Yeah. Like, I mean, we talked about the Shakespeare Bridge when we had their first funeral, and I was mentioning all the, like, you know, great, like, Macbeth energy that they had. Um, and, like, I don't know. If you think about the number of people in Shakespeare plays who, like, are tormented by the ghost of, of someone that they murdered. I mean, it's like you murdered yourself and then the ghost came back to haunt you anyway. Like, it's just incredible. Like, we've died. Somebody resurrected us. It didn't work. Um, and now we're going to be haunted by this for you. It was very Shakespearean. I mean, it really stayed very much in line with the, the first funeral that we had for them. But it does seem like we should probably have a second one. Like, well, like, remember, you know, in olden times when they were, like, not 100% sure sometimes that people were actually dead. So they would put the bells in the coffin so that if they accidentally buried you alive, you could ring the bell and they would dig you back up. Like, I mean, it's kind of what happened here. It's like they, they never actually rang the bell, right? Like, we can just leave them there. We can leave them buried. You're being, you're being too nice. I, I was thinking Dwight Schrute when his aunt passes away and he kicks open the coffin and shoots her with a shotgun. Like, that's what we need to do to the angels. We just need to shoot them. No, we don't, because they're not coming back. It's like... <laughs> they don't. The, no, you know what sweet truth moment it is? It's the, I shot a werewolf, but it turned back into my neighbor's dog. <laughs> yes. There you go. That's the... <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay, well, I think it's enough on the angels. Although I am, I think I am in favor of a zombie death code to go to to correlate with the actual death code, so they get their death code, and if they come back to life for a second, we give them a zombie death code when they go back down. I agree. I agree. Okay. Right, I like well, 
Okay. Uh, next, next on the list here, uh, I, I tweeted this out over the weekend about Corey Seager. Uh, you know, I tweeted out, tagged you guys in as like, you know, because we, we had that discussion not too long ago about aliens and baseball and, and which players. I think Corey Seager's an alien because he's doing things that I just don't think are human. He's this the second time this year he's come back from the IL and both times he brought his timing back with him immediately. Like no lag, no, no lag, no, you know, couple of games where his time is a little off. You know, he's just missing them. No home run first at bat. Right, and he keeps on hitting. And Irby, I don't, I, I don't know <laughs> what else to make of this. It's like he puts his entire body into the swing every time he swings. It's like his entire body goes into it. It's, it's not as smooth and awesome as King Griffey Jr. because no one is, but very similar in terms of putting everything, every ounce of his mass into the baseball, and the ball just just off. Its, I, 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 that's. It's a challenge coming up with more adjectives to describe Corey Seager, but he's certainly proven $325 million is something that could be worth it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is – well, and, and I, I'm glad that you said that, how, how you did about putting so much into it because we see that, and, and you know, Corey's hitting over 50% of his balls are considered hard-hit balls. You know, his exit velocity is top five in the league. He's, he's barely I mean, – I mean, all these numbers, like, whatever – I, I have fun um, with, you know, I, I, you guys have been a part of it too, but you guys know my, you know, Kevin and Dallas is two of our colleagues as well, our friends. And, and we just pass around these stats all the time. And, Bo, I'm with you. It's ridiculous sometimes. You're like, what? 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 I, 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 and, and it's been fun to watch. But the, the point that you made there, I love that because it is. It, it, Corey Seager puts so much into it that we see this from a lot of baseball players that put their whole body, their whole effort into a swing. And when it's good, or I shouldn't even say it's good, when it's great, when it's working perfectly, it's Corey Seager. You know, because, yes, he does he strike out? Yeah, sure, but not at a high clip. Uh-huh. When it's bad, it's Joey Gallo. Like, yeah, Joey Gallo puts everything into his swing, but, boy, when you're striking out 50% of the time, you're not doing anybody any good. Uh-huh. Corey Seager's not striking out a lot. Now, does he? Sure, everybody does. It's part of the game now, you know, but, but he, it, it's a wonderful – um, and it's something I'd heard from some friends who are Dodgers fans and, and, and watch it happening now. A lot of the times it's that first pitch. Like, like you give him a good first pitch, oh, yeah. he Come is on. everything on it. Mm-hmm. But he has the discipline that after that pitch, if he doesn't get the pitch he wants, if he does, if he, if he does go down with a swing and a miss, he adjusts himself immediately. Not in a bat later, immediately. And that's the big thing right there. That's that that's where the success comes. And that's why he's having the season that he has is because it, it, it within and at bat, he changes the mindset, he changes the approach. Yeah. And I mean we're seeing the numbers. The, the numbers are ridiculous. What's funny is is that he still hasn't qualified and I'm using those stupid air quotes right now. He hasn't qualified with enough um, at bats to be showing up on any stat ratings, or everything, but he's about to. He's a few Played appearances away, and once he does, all of a sudden people are going to be, whoa, where did this come from? No, he's been doing that. He's just been on the I.L. a couple times. And, yeah, yeah when, when when Corey gets hot, man, this is, like you said, Bo, it's money well spent. It's very, yeah. You know, it, it's Samantha, like, I, obviously we knew he was a good hitter coming over. I didn't know he was this good. Like, you watch him play every day. It's different than when you when you don't watch him obviously play every day. But you watch him play every day, It's you see it differently. And, and I didn't know he was this good of a hitter. 
when he was with the Dodgers. I, it's just a different level than I was expecting. Yeah, I just I freaking love this guy. Um, I probably saw more of him than you guys did prior to Texas's acquisition of him because I was watching a lot of Dodgers games, and now you guys are seeing more of him. And it's like I kind of I just I love this guy. I love the way he plays. I love the skills that he that he has, and I, I kind of want to talk about this this issue of you know putting your whole body into the swing and um, the sort of having the discipline and sort of the strategic understanding of when it's appropriate to do that and when it's not. And, and he is one of the best examples out there. This is mm-hmm. like the anti Joey Gallo here that, you know, I don't know if this, if you guys experience this, like playing little league ball. Um, I, I think it's kind of one of those things that gets filtered out when you get older because it's a terrible strategy, but they love to tell you things in little league, like always wait for your first strike. Like, because basically they're counting on the fact that like everybody's an incompetent pitcher when they're like nine and they want the free pass, but like nobody wants to play baseball that way. Right. And also like you're giving one away for free to anybody who's even reasonably accurate. Why would you do this? If you're going to waste a strike, the correct way to waste a strike is to swing with everything you got at the first hittable pitch that you get. And yeah, you know what? You're going to whiff. Like, okay, like that happens. But if you connect, sure, there's going to be a few that are that are going to be, you know, you're going to pop out and bummer. But, like, I love the idea that if you're going to burn a strike, instead of just standing there and waiting for the walk that's unlikely to come, especially at the professional level, most of the pitchers are not that bad. Some of, some of them are that bad. Uh, but most of the pitchers are not that bad. That, I mean... And I love the sort of positive aggression of it, too, to come out of the gate and say, look, I'm going to try to mash on the first hitable pitch that, that gets sent to me. And then after that, I'm going to sit back and I'm going to take a different approach. And I, I love guys who can adjust within and at bat. And that is one of the many things I love about Corey Seager. So I think it's awesome. So excited he's on the Rangers. I can root for him with you guys. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's one of those guys, like, you, you, just, you, just, you just watch me like, man, I just love watching this guy hit. I, I feel like I've said that to, yes. my, I've said that to my dad a few times this season. I just love to watch him hit. Like even his strikeouts are entertaining. Like I just love watching him hit. So uh, definitely, definitely one of the one of those one of those guys that's worth every every penny. Okay, so speaking of money, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna have some fun here. So I've got to I've got to look here. The the Mets, you know, because of their their big trade off at the deadline, uh, they had to to adjust their promotional schedule. You know, because they traded. All these guys away. Uh, I actually had the list right here for September. Uh, some of this is going to carry over into next year, but I've got the new promotions. Um, we're going to start small. You know, this this one can happen at any moment. Uh, you get a free chalupa every time there's a major league debut from the Mets. So that can happen often with, with some of these guys, especially in September with these cup of coffees coming in and out. Um, you get a free seat upgrade. For fans who can list the current 26-man roster, now that's the current as of that game. So if you say the one from yesterday and you got the you got yesterday's roster, you don't you don't get your free seat upgrade. You're still stuck up there in the nosebleeds drinking nine dollar beer. Um, this one's kind of fun. This is the bobblehead trade in. All right, so if you've got a bobblehead of one of these guys that just got dealt off, okay, no longer on the roster, you can bring that back in for a certificate for a prospect bobblehead to be named later. We don't know who our prospects are going to be, so we can't say you know definitively that's going to be your bobblehead. So you, you, we're going to have to we're going to have to play that by ear. So you get a prospect to be named later. Now these are more the long term that they're working on because you know, they're not going to try to win next year, right? We know that they've they've already said that. They said that through the people they traded and the people they traded are talking. 
They're not going to try to win in 2024. Maybe not even 2025, but here's what they're going to do for you. They're going to give you your 2024 season tickets for free if, if you also buy 2025 and 2026. Now, you can prepay that or they're going to come back and get you later on because you opted into this. So if, if you agree to do 2025, 2026, they're going to give you 2024 for free. Now, this is my favorite one. This is pure Cohen. They're calling it Cohen Ball. Very much like Powerball. This is my favorite one. Uh, on the last game of the season, one lucky fan. They're going to have a seat lottery. So if you're sitting in the winning seat, you get the equivalent of the cash that Cohen and the Mets ate at the deadline, which could be, I mean, that wasn't what, $83 million? Samantha, I think it was like $83 million that they that they ate. So you, yep. get, you get that. Yep. Mm-hmm. You get that in a seat lottery, your lucky seat lottery called Cohen Ball. But, you, but here's the kicker. You have to be present to win, and they're not going to draw until, like, the ninth inning. So you can't be one of those that buys the ticket and hope that's, like, your lottery ticket. No, you have to actually be sitting in the seat. Otherwise, Cohen can't come down there and give you a check. They're not going to mail it to you. <laughs> so, you know, that's just that's just some of the stuff <laughs> the Mets are working on. I mean, they're, they're, they're going to get some butts in the seat somehow. <laughs> I mean, well, first of all, I mean, it's a good bet, right? You want a way better shot at that than you do at winning the lottery. So, like, the right. odds would be a lot better, even proportionate to the fact that it's less money. It's still at the retirement money. Um, like, you're you're never working again. You're yeah. never going to worry about money again if you win that. So, it doesn't really matter um, at that point. So, yeah, I mean, I have a couple of thoughts here. One of which is I, the bobblehead thing just makes me laugh because, like, what teams choose to do with the bobbleheads with people who have been traded? Like, is there, like, a graveyard for those things, is it like the team? You know how when they, <laughs> when you have a Super Bowl, they print both teams as the Super Bowl champ on the T-shirts. Mm-hmm. So no matter who wins, they can give out the T-shirts, and then they donate the T-shirts to like a, a third world country. And there's a whole bunch of people running around, you know, like Zambia with, you know, like um, <laughs> Buffalo Bills uh, <laughs> Super Bowl champ shirts. Like, is that what happens to the bobbleheads? Like, do they go to like an orphanage? Um, like, who ends up with those? Like, I was at an Indians game on the night that Victor Martinez was traded, which was also Victor Martinez bobblehead night. Um, and you're like looking at it and you're like, what am I supposed to do with this? Who would even want this? And we left them under our seats and then we walked off and wandered around the stadium for three innings. And when we came back, they were still there because no one watched it. <laughs> so just incredible. I mean, it's, it's perfect. It's like a great way to handle this. And then my, my final, I, I have a question. This is like, I'm sure I sound like an idiot, but it's like somebody who doesn't eat fast food. Like what is a chalupa? I only know it as the thing that that like Chihuahua talked about in Taco Bell commercials, and I didn't understand what it was because everything that Taco Bell sells looks the same to me. So I don't understand what a chalupa is. Uh, so a chalupa is like a taco, but the shell is like soft and puffy. Is it a real Mexican food, or is it something Taco Bell invented? That I don't know. I get mine at yes. Taco Bell. <laughs> <laughs> Just let Irby chime in on that. Think, think, <laughs> pita, think pita bread. They'll put the taco in the pita bread. Uh, see, I was going to sound that bad if it doesn't come from Taco Bell. But Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just, the, the, the ones that Taco Bell come pretty much just layered in sour cream. So just get ready for that. Oh, I can't. I'm terrified <laughs> of sour cream. Um, I'm so afraid of it. Like, I, I, I'm afraid of it. 
like physically I will recoil from it. Um, yeah, no, no Taco Bell for me, no Chalupa for me. But this is good. It's educational. I do like learning about these things, and it sounds like no one knows what a Chalupa is. Is the answer other than that it might be a pita taco, and no one knows if it was invented by Taco Bell. I mean, it's, it's one of my favorite late night menu items. Get one of those in Mexican pizza, and I'm good. I, I, I can't. I just can't. I have vague recollections of being like a high school senior, like four Zima deep and going to the Taco Bell drive through and then being so disappointed because there was literally nothing I would eat even as like a drunk 17 year old. And I had to get those cinnamon things oh. and like a Sprite. <laughs> they were really disappointing. Why am I- and they do not help absorb Zima. Why am I? Why am I blanking on this on the on the cinnamon thing? What the what the, what the, what the hell are those called? This is like fried cinnamon twists or something. Cinnamon like twists, fried okay, thank things you. with yeah. like some cinnamon sugar yeah. on them. It was like mm. the one thing. Like I mean, churros. Yeah, like fake churros or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm sure terrible for you, but not on a level with most of the things that they serve at the Taco Bell. And also for somebody like me, you just like wouldn't eat that even if it was good for you because it's so gross to me. Um. But I, I do, yeah, I can certainly appreciate that Taco Bell is, like, the place to be when, you know, one, one wants some, some late-night food. Um, well, wow. I mean, I mean, if, you, if, if, you're, if, if you're into, you know, the movie Demolition Man like me, then you know that Taco Bell wins the fast food wars. So, it'd be, you know. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. That's a good movie, too. See, you know, I don't want those things yeah. I gotta watch. I'm, only, I'm an appreciator of Demolition Man. <laughs> good stuff. <laughs> Hey, if you don't go to Taco Bell, you get a rat burger, but that's neither here nor there. All right, Irby, <laughs> anything you want to add here before we get to Armchair Empire? I will. I love your 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 um, opt-in seat idea. Yeah, I give you this season free if you buy the next two seasons. Yeah. Um, just because I do love the idea that yeah, you don't have to pay up front. Really? Sure. Yeah, we got loan sharks here, and we got some hitmen <laughs> that'll come looking for you later on if you don't pay up. Like, and, we, and we've we've literally got a room full of bats. So. Yeah, 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 like that. I love that. Um, and also the the seat. I mean, sure, yeah, I'll sit through a whole game with the chance of winning that $83 million, although because it's the Mets, it would more likely would probably be a Braves fan that would end up winning that. <laughs> what's, what's worse, though? Hang on, what's worse though, for the Mets? What's worse? Is it a Braves fan winning it or a Yankees fan winning it? What's worse? A Yankees fan. Yeah, Yankees see, fan. 100% it, it would, worse. Yeah, it, that, it, would, that would seem worse. Um. Yeah, it's gonna be one of those bleacher creatures from the Bronx. It just happens to go over to Queens for that game. That's who's gonna mm-hmm. win up winning it. <laughs> you get a Bronx cheer after he writes the check. Oh god, can you imagine? They can give it all to John Carlos Stan so he can not play for it. Super. <laughs> oh boy. All right. Let's get into I'm sure umpire Ruby. What do you have for us tonight? Well, I you know, I've actually thanks to uh uh, vacation um, found some good ones. Um, this has been it's been a lot of fun going through this book. Um, I, I, we're sixteen weeks in. This is great. This is good stuff, and um, I'm glad that we still have some good material going forward because there has been a lot of these that I haven't been able to use because rules have changed. Especially uh, video replay has eliminated a lot of good stuff. We're like, yep, that would have been good back then, but now we can fix that problem. So the one I have for you tonight, um, kind of, I mean, I'm going to throw back the old. The old names, just because it's got Stan Musial in there, and always a reason to throw out Stan's name, is always fun to do. So, without further ado, uh, Giants are playing the Cardinals. It's a 3-2. Giants are leading 3-2. The Cardinals come to bat in the ninth. 
with two men out and the base is loaded, Gene Oliver tops a slow roller towards Ed Broussard at shortstop. By the time Broussard reaches the ball, all he had, all he can try to do is make a possible force play at second. Running from first to second is the great Stan Musial. Musial slide beats the throw to second, but his momentum immediately carries him past the bag. While doing that, the shortstop or the second baseman makes the tag on Stan Musial. But meanwhile, at that same time, right before, sorry, not same time, right before, so touches the bag, goes past, makes the tag. But in the meanwhile, the runner at third crosses the plate as the tying run. Does it count? Is Musial tagged out? Like what? What? What's you guys are the umpire in this situation? What are you? What are you calling? Wait, so the run crossed the plate before the tag. Musial tagged. Yes. So Musial slides into second. He t- he reaches second base, touches second base, but immediately, without being touched, without any contact of anyone, after touching, his momentum carries him off the bag on his own accord, and then he is tagged. But before the tag is applied, the run scores. Okay, so we're playing under the current rules, right? Correct. Where we're saying, like, we're not taking into consideration replay on. There's none of this business of. I was so afraid because of what happened in the Guardians game the night before the fight that you were going to give us one about somebody getting pushed off the bag. And I was like, well, the whole thing this will trigger me, but I know the answer. Um, <laughs> right. You know how that one goes. Like, guess what? It doesn't really matter. It's just a weird loophole in the rules. That they it's a runner's block. You over. <laughs> it's a runner's block. Um, okay. So. All right, so, Bo, this feels obvious, which makes me suspicious. Are, are you in the yep. same place as me? Because Absolutely. I feel like, well, of course the run scores because it crossed the plate before the tag. Um, but that makes me very suspicious because that seems extremely obvious. So what else are we taking into consideration here that might change well, us? Okay, so let, let's say... Runner's coming home from third, and there's a force out at first. Like, all he does is throw the hitter out. That run doesn't mm-hmm. count. Are we making? Mm-hmm. Are we going to do the same thing because this is technically a fielder's choice? Right? It's a fielder's choice out. He was not ruled safe at first, right? Or it would be like, he wasn't ruled safe and then went off the bag. Like, he, he just overslid the bag and was tagged out. Correct. Yeah, he he's going in trying to beat out the force out at second base, All right, so, but his momentum is so, touching second immediately takes him off. So so he's out on a fielder's choice, which for me is the same as being th- as as if he had chosen to throw to first and threw the guy out at first. If the run right, so so if the run it's still it, technically a force play, right? right? Like that, maybe that's the only thing. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's still a fielder's choice. He's still out. Well. Yeah, but is it a force play though? Because he didn't. It wasn't a step on the bag. It was a tag. Does that change it from a force out to a okay? Non-force did out? did the fielder step on the bag, Irby, or did he just tag the runner? Uh, he's stepping on the bag, so he's he on, the bag. on the bag. Yeah. Okay, so that's a force out. Then. Right. Okay, so it's okay. a force out. Then if it's this, if it's the same as a force out of first, then then the runner crossing the plate doesn't matter. 
Well, right, because, yeah, it doesn't matter if you beat it there. Well, yeah, okay, because, like, think about, okay, if the runner was coming home and the runner crossed the plate before the out at first, the run doesn't count, right? Right, right. yeah. Because it's a force play. Uh So the only way it would count is if the runner had taken off and he was stealing home. So, okay, so then how, then I think you're right, Ben. I think this is a force out. Right. So it doesn't really matter if it was before or after. Because, yeah, because we would make a different decision if, let's say, for example, first base had been open and this runner was the batter mm-hmm. who had passed first and chosen to come to second. Mm-hmm. Then we say that run scores. Right, because it's not a force out at that point. Right. I think, yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I think that's what it is. Yeah. Final answer? Final answer. All right, Irby, that's our final answer. So say I just want to make sure I'm on the same and I explain this right. So you guys are saying the, the runner, the, the the fielder, the second baseman is standing on the base as the shortstop pitches him. The runner gets to the bag first, slides, touches second, goes off the bag. The runner, the second baseman still standing, then catches the ball on the base. Mm-hmm. And to even, even if he's standing on there, it's an out because that's a force out. Right. And then the runner doesn't score because it's even though it was before – it's, it still doesn't count because it was a force out of second. Right. Okay. Cool. All right. Just want to make sure I got everything right. It's, it's, this is a difficult one because it happened so boom, boom, and it's a weird play. But unfortunately, you guys are not correct. Oh, boo. The runner, when doing this, um, and this, this applies to second and third and not first base, but second and third, the moment the runner in this situation, Stan Musial, touches the base, whether he goes beyond it, whether he stays or anything, the moment he touches second, he is no longer a force out. Even though his own momentum carried him past. Really? At that oh, point, I see. Because now you've got to tag him. Okay. Because now you have to tag him. He has established himself on the base. We should have known that. Because we well, should have thought about the fact that you have to tag him, which changes it. Yeah. And and. The fun thing about this rule is that this rule actually changed in the 50s. Before the 1950s, that run, you guys would have been correct. That still would have been considered a force out because his own momentum carried him past the base. Right. Again, this is only for second and third. Obviously, home, it doesn't count or anything. And first, it has to do with what we've done in the past, which direction he turns. But but this... Uh, this is in the rules of the OA 10. This is 10.08 C um, <laughs> is where this comes into. Oh yeah. They got to love it too. And um, 10.0 C. And I, I yeah, it's, I, I love this ruling of how it is because it, it, it takes in that moment. And, and, and I can see uh, what it would have been interesting. Um, it's one of those love to have been a fly on the wall. If that discussion was happening before a player was, you know, it's like, well, no, we need to award, because I can see both sides of it, of you're punishing before the 50s, where the runner went past. It's like, well, no, he's going too fast. Like, he, you did not establish yourself on the base. Whereas the role changed and everything, and I wonder if it had something to do with speed and runners getting faster and stuff like that, that it became, no, you've touched it. You've established yourself on the base. You've just gone too far. Whether it was towards third or whether it was past the bag, it doesn't matter. The force out. 
that's the beautiful thing is the force out has ended because he has touched and established himself at second. Because you think about this on a fly ball, had this been a fly ball and he touches, he would have to retouch that base to go back first. So by touching it, he has established, yep, I'm here. Oop, I went too far. Tag, you're out, but the run scored. So in this situation, the game is tied heading to extra. See, I like this rule because I like the fact that you are, in a way, being rewarded for reaching the bag first on a force play. And that once you've overslid, it's on you to correct it before the other guy does. But that technically, you beat it there, right? So all of the things that should apply, should you beat the throw there, then serve to potentially help you if you are able to make it back. Or even if you're not, as long as your runner can get home first. Like, I like that. I, I think that's a good way to handle it. I I wish we thought of it. And I, well, I wish mostly I wish it had happened at close base because we would have known how to handle that one because that one, you know, as we know, is about whether you've made the turn. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, I hate that we didn't think of that because it really, you know, again, like we always talk about, the, the baseball logic, it's always there. Yeah. Um, you can always find it. And, and I love that this takes the nuance into account of not essentially double punishing someone when they did, in fact, beat the throw on the force. Love it. Good job, baseball. <laughs> yeah, one quick thing. Now, I did mess up real quick. I said 10.08C. Sorry, that was not a 10.07C. Just wanted to correct that. 10.07C is the rule. Sorry about that. One angry person on Twitter who memorized it. <laughs> right. For you. It's not eight. I know, I know. It was seven. It was seven. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to sleep tonight if I had not corrected that. <laughs> Oh, but this is good. This is a good example of baseball understanding what to do. Now we need them to come back and fix the whole thing about how you will be rewarded for pushing a dude off the bag because when they made the replay rules, they did not take into account that somebody could decide to push you off the bag and then call for a review. Yes. Am I still mad that this happened to me a week ago? Clearly, yes, I am. Like, let's let's talk to the people who made this rule about that and mm-hmm. fix this. Mm-hmm. See, we too, as a modern baseball society, can apply logic things that happen at second base. Be more like these guys. And less like whoever didn't see the unforeseen circumstances that would occur for the replay in a second. Come on. Good good job, Barry. That was a, that was a good one. I, I don't was. like the way you get it right, but it was a good one. It was good. It was good. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us. We're out of here. Don't forget we're on YouTube. If, unless you're listening to us on YouTube now, then, then go ahead and subscribe while you're there. Uh, but wherever you get your podcasts, hit that like button, smash the subscribe button, help us out with that algorithm. Get some more lollygaggers in here for some armchair umpire. But until next week, watch some baseballs. Good for you.